This is the Horse Radio Network. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. You are listening to the number one horse podcast in the world. Here's your entertaining look at the horse world and the people in it. Good Monday morning, everybody. I am Glenda Geek in Ocala, Florida. And I'm Wendy Ying from Sarasota, Florida. And you're listening to Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for March 15th. This is episode 2640, and it's brought to you by Kemen Equine. Good morning, Horse World. Well, good morning, everybody. Thank you for joining us on this Monday morning. Uh, and uh, we hope that you're surviving the latest blizzard to go across the country. I don't know if you noticed, but some parts of Colorado and Utah had record snowfalls yesterday. And yes, it is the middle of March. <laughs> so, And yeah, that's yeah. heading across the country today. It's in the middle of the country and there were tornadoes in places. So we're thinking about all of you. I belong to a couple of the Facebook pages for camping now, Wendy. Yeah. And uh, one of them, a tornado hit a campground in Texas. Oh, no. Took Fortunately, most of the people had evacuated and went. They had a safe place for them. They went oh, to the good. safe place because when they got back, their campers were in a million pieces. Like, oh, I demolished, can imagine. Just totally obliterated. Did they have like an underground shelter or I, something? They, they must have because they were all safe. And all I read was that we were glad we left our camper because when they came back, there were mattresses here and furniture over there. And th- there was nothing that looked like a camper left. Yeah. <laughs> it was just oh parts God. and pieces. So we're be safe, everybody. We're thinking about you guys. Obviously, Jamie is off. She is taking her much-touted vacation although not to Hawaii, because restrictions were too restrictive. So she ended up, uh, said she was going to go to Orlando and then didn't do that because of spring break. I talked her right out of that. You, it's one time you don't come to Florida, right, Wendy? It's during spring no, break time. You no, know, it's just, it's In fact, it. we Floridians tend not to even drive towards the beach. No, <laughs> that's right. Any place that there's going to be a million teenagers, we don't go. I actually have clients that, um, you know, reschedule because they felt, you know, we do house call practice. Mm-hmm. So they live out there on the beach, and they said, oh, no, no, we we can't schedule that week. It's spring break week. It'll take you forever to get out here. <laughs> That's nice of them. <laughs> I know. I know. So Dr. Wendy's filling in. Of course, she does a driving show here once a month on Horses in the Morning. And I have my usual EHV1 update That's to start the show here today. A couple of items. Uh, the FEI has imposed a further two-week extension of its shutdown for all international events in mainland Europe. So... Uh, there have been more cases popping up over there in different countries that have all come out of these big shows. I mean, the horses that are getting sick are your million-dollar horses. Mm-hmm. So um, they thought it was wise at this point because it, new cases keep popping up that they've extended. Originally, they were going to have a 28-day shutdown to, to the end of March, and now they're going to go to April 11th, which means that for the second year in a row, the World Cup is canceled. Last year, it was Aww. supposed to be in Las Vegas uh, for jumping and dressage World Cup, and it was supposed to be in Vegas. Well, that got canceled because of the COVID. Yeah. And so for it got canceled for a human virus last year, and this year it's being canceled now for a horse virus. So viruses have wiped out the World Cup the last two years, and it will not mm. happen. Um, so there you go. Longines sponsors that for the last two years, too. I want, Do they have to still pay their full bill? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how it works, but... 
I don't know how it works either. And it's I bad sell for advertising. Everybody. Yeah. I don't know how you know works. it's bad for the people putting it on. It's bad for the venue. It's bad for the competitors, the owners. I, I want to ask you, I do have a question about each V1 that came up that I didn't know the answer to. So I want to ask you that. First of all, before we get to that, uh, there's another outbreak in Woodford County, Kentucky, a three-year-old thoroughbred, uh, oh. apparently got it and then rapidly deteriorated and was euthanized. Um, they, they did the tracing back from that thoroughbred and they identified five other horses that are positive, which have led them to 25 other horses that are now in quarantine. Mm-hmm. So they have a bit of an outbreak in Woodford County and Woodford County, for those that aren't familiar, right, it's right next to Lexington. That's where all the big thoroughbred farms are. So this is on one of those farms, uh, which is bad. I mean, the, the, you know, that's bad. You don't want it going around Le- Lexington, Kentucky. Right. <laughs> um, talk about million dollar horses, right? So, so that's where we're at as far as new outbreaks are concerned. And, and, uh, the question was, you know, we, we've talked in the last two weeks here while covering this about how, how highly contagious this is. You know, horse yeah. sneezes on you, you go and another horse rubs you and you're, you've just spread it. I mean, it's that right. contagious. Right. But how does, they call them the index horses in all the articles. That's the first horse that they start tracing. So the first horse to get it, and then they start tracing where that horse, you know, who that horse has been with. How does the index horse get it? The index horse gets it because with uh, it's a herpes virus, right? right? So we all know, like, we've all known, like, somebody that has herpes that you can see on their lip, right? Right. But they're not always shedding herpes, and some people don't get herpes, right? So there's a, they call it a um, like a silent carrier, right? So there can be lots of horses that are infected with this virus and showing zero signs, but they can be shedding it. So, so it's just that's like COVID. how the some first people horse... don't show show any signs at all, and right, yeah. right, it's it's exactly like COVID, which is is sad about the two World Cups being canceled, and you know. It, it has very similar characteristics to COVID. And what causes the neurologic sign actually is uh, damage to the blood vessels. Because usually herpes virus in horses, which we also call this EHV, is also rhino. So, you know, you get your flu and your rhino right. shot. And rhino means nose, right? So the most common form of EHV is uh, like respiratory disease. Um, but then there are some horses, and we don't know why, but some horses get this um, type of virus. The, the, this virus causes damage to the blood vessels, and then you, you see this neurologic damage because you get inflammation in the brain. So basically they're having strokes, right? Yeah, basically, yeah. Yeah. Huh. yeah. And um, it, it's, it's kind of like a ticking time bomb because we don't know. Right. Because it could be nothing. It's exactly like the same thing that you go through with COVID. You could say, oh, well, I, I don't think I'm going to get it. My immune system's strong. But what if you're the unfortunate person whose body, you know, maybe you're the that zero point one person that gets it and it causes serious damage to your body. So now the vaccine, this is the other question that I've seen come up in Facebook posts. The vaccine doesn't necessarily help with the neurological? No, and we don't know exactly why. Um, The thing is that uh, equine herpes virus is a DNA virus. So they can kind of, uh, they 
they have different characteristics there. They can be, uh, have different forms, right? So, so equine herpes virus causes nothing, right? It causes, a, a respiratory virus. It causes this neurologic virus and it also causes, um, abortion in mares. So it, it doesn't look like just one simple thing. And we don't know exactly why horses break with the neurologic form and the vaccine, uh, the, there's no vaccine that's labeled to protect against the neurologic form. Mm. That doesn't mean that there isn't some kind of protection. We it just haven't mean, it doesn't proven help a little bit. That. Right. Yeah. And also the, um, you know how with USEF you have to get vaccinated for flu and rhino every right. six months. Well, the vaccine is good, but is the immunity is very short lived. Mm. You see, so every six months means that that your immunity this this vaccine is only lasting for six months. Do they believe that six- the more of the vaccine that you get, the shorter the immunity? Is that logical? That over time. It would if get, you get vaccinated a lot, you, you're more at risk. Yeah, yeah, that the the immunity gets shorter each time. Um, I haven't heard anything okay like that. What we usually feel like is the more times you get vaccinated, the more your immune system says, "Oh, I see that," and you can respond faster. Okay, that is not necessarily the case with equine herpes and flu, and it could be because. Uh, just like with flu, that changes so much. There's different strains. Boy, you but, know, it's um, so funny because... I mean, would... you should definitely vaccinate and you should definitely... I actually prefer to use the intranasal vaccine because, you know, there's uh, different kinds of antibodies your your body makes. And if you do the intranasal vaccine, it stimulates the antibodies that you produce in your nose, like in your mucus. So I kind of feel like that's your first line of defense. So, you know, it's so funny. By the way, for new listeners, uh, Wendy is a veterinarian. So <laughs> we'll let everybody know. Um, so, yeah, we, we when we started talking about this a couple of weeks ago, I could not believe the, obviously, they're both viruses. Uh, you yeah. know, I couldn't believe the uncanny correlation to COVID. I mean, it, yeah. it's just, yeah. <laughs> it's just, it's just the same, you know? Yeah. Uh, well, thank you for that. That cleared up a couple things. I appreciate that. All right, <laughs> okay. let's do some daily winnies, and then we'll get to our first guest. We have three guests lined up today. Coming up on today's show, we have Auditor Jordan Gray, who took her first driving lesson yesterday. Yay! She, she said it was a bit scary, so it was. It's good you're here today to talk to her about that. Uh, we love when our auditors and our listeners do something new. And then we have we're going to answer the question: Why are bike helmets so much less expensive than? And riding helmets. We have Matt coming on. He's head of innovation at Charles Owen. And he's going to answer that question. And we're going to talk about why is the price so different and what makes a riding helmet better than a bike helmet. I can't believe they agreed to come on and do that. We have some question <laughs> first world problems. Yes, Wendy and I are going to tackle them today. And then Emma Klugman's coming on from Jumper Nation to talk a little bit about jumping, what's going on in the country and the world with, uh, with jumping. So we have a full show planned, but of course, we always start with Daily Winnie's. Only one auditor birthday today, Hillary Borneman. Happy birthday to Hillary. And now it's your turn. <laughs> oh, wrong one. 
Hit the wrong button. Sorry about that. <laughs> well, my daily Winnie is to our new auditors. We have Olivia the Mini Pony, Chris Scott, and LD. Thank you so much for raising your pledge at the Patreon site. So thank you guys and welcome. And for the new listeners too, auditors are like a super fans. They uh, donate every month to help support the network and the hosts. Wendy gets a piece of that every month. Uh, it's divided um, uh, up amongst our hosts here on the show. So definitely uh, check it out. You can go to horseradionetwork.com, scroll down the right-hand side of the page. And for as little as $3 a month, they get included in a lot of different things. Uh, there's some auditor pages of all different kinds, mental health, and we'll talk about one later today that they just made. So all different kinds of pages in there. And, they and, and the after show, after party. Yep, we have an after show that we do here every day for the auditors that only they get to listen to. So that uh, will be coming up after today's show. Wendy's going to talk to us a little bit about a study that or a, a pro- project she's been working on. So we're going to talk about that in the after show today. But first, we have to get to one of our auditors doing something new. And I love this. I love this that we have auditors in there posting about cool stuff they're doing. And you happen to know the guy that she's doing it with. So let's get her on the line. This is going to be Jordan Gray. Well, hi, Jordan. Welcome to the Horses in the Morning. Hi, Wendy. Hi, Glenn. Jordan, you have some exciting news. You took your first driving lesson. Yes. <laughs> so Alex how was it? It, <laughs> it was a little scary. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> <laughs> and you took it with who, who gave you your first driving lesson? Alan Tucci at Murder Hollow Farm in Chester County, Pennsylvania. Murder Hollow? Are yeah. you scared? <laughs> Who takes a lesson at Murder Hollow? Yeah, <laughs> no wonder you were nervous. <laughs> yeah, you can hear the whole story if you go on the website. It's, it's kind of amusing. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And um, so, you know, I have to admit, the first time I drove, um, I was terrified. I was like, why do you do this? You're completely out of control. And I was like, with my legs, I was squeezing onto the onto the carriage. Were you doing that? Yeah, the first time when we went off the driveway, I felt like I was going to fall out of the carriage. <laughs> <laughs> and you're and you're like, oh my god, I'm just at this horse's mercy, just holding these two little reins, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah. She was very good, though. She, and um, she tolerated my mistake. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about Alan and what kind of horses he has up there at Murder Hollow. Um, Alan and Renee have um, knobstroppers. It's a Danish spotted warm blood breed. Mm-hmm. Um, they breed them. They stand a stallion. Um, and that is one of their mares that I was driving. That you were driving? Yeah. Her name is Dilly. She she actually just learned to drive, I think, over the summer. So oh, really? So you're just her. learning to drive and they gave you this little green on green. green <laughs> yeah, green on green. Well, Alan was right there with me, so he wasn't going to let me get in tr- into trouble. <laughs> So how did you, um, like what, what made you decide to start driving? What happened? We were actually going to go on a trail ride and then Renee was like, let's drive instead. <laughs> so kind of <laughs> spur of the moment, we just decided to take the horses out driving instead. So I have to ask you, what did you find the difference? Where, where, you know, what were the differences? What, what did you notice? What stood out to you? I felt a lot less in control. <laughs> than when when riding I guess because you can feel the horse between your legs and your hands and now you have you lose that you just have the reins 
and then you have the cart that's kind of like tilting as it goes over every bump and you have no control. <laughs> Which is why I like driving because <laughs> I'm not on the horse. <laughs> Glenn is not in control driving at all either. No, he's no. at Scooter's mercy. <laughs> That's right. We go where he wants to go. We have an arrangement. Really we do what he wants. It's a good arrangement. <laughs> <laughs> Drives Wendy insane when she comes up. So, so did you uh, did you, you think it was difficult to like get all? You know how like if you're going to go for a trail ride, you just throw your saddle and bridle on. Did you notice there was a difference between hooking up the carriage and tacking up for riding? Yes, it's a lot more work to get to um, get a horse ready to drive. <laughs> it's a lot of straps and a lot of things to remember. <laughs> <laughs> I think people are always overwhelmed by the amount of straps. You're yes. right. I was Definitely. noticing too. He didn't. There was no breaching on on this one. Uh, he didn't have breaching on. Did you notice that, Wendy, in the picture? I can't see. I need glasses. Yeah, you can make the picture bigger. Just click on it. It'll get bigger. But uh, yeah, it uh, it didn't look like... You only had half the harness to hook up, actually. Yeah. <laughs> so what What did you... So how did you stop the carriage from going forward? Did you have to learn to use the brake? He was doing the brake. Oh, that's so good. Alan, it's kind Alan of like your driver instructor brake. when you're learning to drive a car and they had their own brake. <laughs> yeah, he, he had the brake. <laughs> So I didn't have to do that part too. <laughs> <laughs> Would you do it again? <laughs> yes, definitely. It was fun. And then we did some ground driving with one of the, um, the other mares that's learning to drive after. That's fun too, isn't it? So we played around with that a little bit. The mare I actually have been riding, we, we were ground driving her after. So she can start. He's trying to put a, another four-in-hand team together. So oh, that's great. He's working on trying to find four horses to pair together. So if anybody has, he's going to use all his horses, all the, all the um, spotted horses, right? Uh, well, right now they only have two spotted horses that could possibly be in the, Oh, in the cause I was going to say, it's hard enough to put a team together and then to put the same, like the, the same breed together is difficult too. Yeah. He doesn't have the, the rest are still babies. So they only have two, Two mares that are enough to be in the team right now. Yeah. The rest are still too young. So the rest of it will just be more blood mares. Oh, that's good. Well, congratulations on your first time out Thank there. You. That's so exciting. I assume you've been a rider forever. Yes, I've ridden my whole life. I work um, across the equestrian center, therapeutic riding program in Chester County, Pennsylvania. So I've been around horses and worked with them my whole life. Okay, you broke driven. up a little bit. Give the name of the therapeutic riding center again. Thorncroft Equestrian Center. It's one of the oldest therapeutic riding programs in the country. Very good. Well, cool. I'm glad you, that's that's a rewarding job too, right? Yeah, it, it's really rewarding. Very good. Well, we're hoping to get through there on our road show in August. So I hope to see you. Yes, uh, you should definitely come visit. You should come visit Thorncroft and Murder Hollow. I could drive a knobstrupper. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That'd be fun. All right, sounds good. Thank you. I know you have to get back to work. and Tell, tell your boss thank you for letting us uh, talk to you today. All right. Thanks, Jordan. Thank you so much. All right. Bye. All right, let's get... Great. Yeah, isn't that fun? I, I saw yeah. that yesterday. I was like, she has to come on when Wendy's here. She just has to come Yeah, on more driving. <laughs> All right, it's time for my fact of the day. 
And now it's time for today's equestrian, who knew, fact of the day. That's right, the fact of the day today, we're going to be talking about bits, very old bits. You know, there's evidence of the use of bits located at two sites in ancient Kazakhstan, dated 3500 to 3000 before Christ, B.C., The first bits were made of rope, bone, horn, or hardwood. Metal bits came into use between 1300 and 1200 BC, and they were originally made of bronze, and they consisted of the mouthpiece, usually a single bar, uh, with a joint sometimes, and cheek pieces that were often quite elaborate. The quality of the work suggested that smelting uh, must have been developed to a very high standard at that point. And it's estimated that later, around the 4th century B.C., severe curb bits with high ports and long shanks were invented for maximum control over war horses. And I saw pictures of some of these. Oh, my God, Wendy, they were something else. I know. You can't look. (laughs) You just can't look. Bits of the Egyptian, Roman, and medieval European eras were much more severe than their predecessors. Iron or bronze bits with sharp V-shaped edges and wire, even barbed wire, were developed. Uh, <sighs> this is the period we begin to see the ancestors of the modern curb bit as leverage of strong uh, of the longer shanks and high ports were discovered. Um, you know, so at this point, you had really high strung horses that were used for one reason, right? And that was yeah. you know war. <laughs> battle. Uh, It was not until the 1700s that innovations in horse training led to gentler bits. So they were using nasty bits all the way up to that point. And in the 18th century, we see the first real innovations in snaffles, and soon after that, bits made of more palatable steel. And then there was little further innovation until about the 1900s, when new materials and designs began to emerge again. So snaffles came in about the 1700s. So think about the time of this country's (sighs) founding. And then, you know, there was really no change until about the 1900s. Um, and the, there was all, there's the debate going on, the chicken or the egg debate still going on. You're probably finding this in your research. The chicken or the egg de- debate goes on um, whether there were bits first or bitless bridles first. Were there bitted or bitless bridles first? Oh, yeah, yeah. I've heard the, the talk about that. I think it has to be bitless bridles first. Well, it's funny because the... Uh, the earliest evidence they have. Now, remember, they have evidence of bits being used. And this is wall paintings and, you know, uh, that they have some kind of documentation to where they found evidence of in graves and things, right? Where they actually yeah. find it. Uh, that was at three thirty five hundred to 3000 BC. The first artistic evidence they have of use, some use of a bridalist uh, or a bitless bridle was in 1400 BC, so much later. Um, so, Mm. you know, but then again, you know, leather degrades, you know, so if they're going to dig up a grave, a lot of times the leather would be gone. So you wouldn't have evidence of that even before. So it's, it's hard to know, but that's, they actually have artistic evidence, you know, on, on parchments or walls or something where it shows bitless bridles. So... Interesting. And, you know, if you, I mean, if you really want to cringe, <laughs> you look at pictures of some of these bits. Ooh, I can't. They were huge, first <laughs> of all. And it was interesting because from what I read, the horses back then weren't necessarily as big as they are now. Even draft horses were smaller in stature. So your average horse was 14 and a half, 15 and a half hands, yet these bits were six inches wide. So they yeah. were wondering if the horse's heads weren't much bigger. Uh, than they are today. We have more refined heads than we had. I think they were. I think they were more like like this area that you're talking about. Kazakhstan is like where the barbs came from. Mm-hmm. You know, so that there was these kind of what we think of now. There is like these little Mongol ponies, but uh, 
they were really like the more heavier, like the, the ancestors of the draft horses. Yeah, you would think, yeah, they were smaller in stature, and they're still smaller in stature, but they do have mm-hmm. bigger heads. You're right. Their, their yeah. heads tend to be bigger. Right. Uh, it was interesting reading about this and then getting you know in depth a little bit about it because I didn't know exactly what the evolution of bits were. Thank God we've come to where we are today. <laughs> I know. I know. But history's history. Can't change it. It is what it is. All right. Uh, this episode is sponsored by Kem and Equine. A fallen section of fence can certainly throw a wrench in your day. Aside from a headache and a repair bill, it might also allow your horses out and to wander around the neighborhood and other creatures in. A fence is not unlike the intestinal barrier in this way. It needs to be strong and functional to keep the good bucks in, good bugs in and the bad bugs out. But what happens when you have a down section of fence or loosened tight junctions in the gut lining? Holes or leaks in your horse's intestinal barrier, known as leaky gut syndrome, can often result in various health and welfare problems. It's not a small problem. Gut issues are the number one cause of premature death in horses, but there is something you can do about it. Good nutrition and attention to gut health can help promote immunity, performance, healthy weight, nutrient absorption, and a positive attitude. For optimal health, ensure your feed includes Clostat or Butapearl ZEQ. And Kemen Trace Chromium from Kemen Equine. Learn more at Kemen Equine slash Leaky Gut. That's Kemen Equine slash Leaky Gut. All right, let's go to our next guest and solve the debate about riding helmets versus bike helmets with Matt Stewart. He's head of innovation at Charles Owen. Well, hi, Matt. Thanks for joining us today. We really appreciate you stopping by. Hi, guys. So, Matt, where are you located? I'm located in North Wales in the UK. Oh, cool. All right. Very good. So we this has been posted on by our listeners in our auditor group, and I saw it on a couple of the other Facebook groups. There's now bike helmets that are coming out with a new MIPS technology, which I think most of our listeners yes. know what that is. We've gone over that before. Uh, but the question came up, why are bike helmets so cheap that even have the MIPS technology and riding helmets 10 times the price of that? And then, of course, you get everybody with their opinions. You know, there's 500 comments all with opinions. Um, and we thought, why not bet- go to the source and find out why, why, are, are, why are bike helmets different than riding helmets? Let's start with that. We'll talk about price later. But what is the difference? Okay, so bike helmets are, I suppose... Um, quite basic and easy to make. They are um, expanded polystyrene liner and they have a um, piece of polycarbonate in molded onto them. So you've got, you've got the helmet liner and the shell molded in one piece. And then um, you can add in a bit MIPS technology and then you stick on your webbing straps. It's very easy, very quick to make. Um, and a question riding helmet is a bit more to it. You can have a carbon shell, a fiberglass shell, an ABS shell, and then you would put the expanded polystyrene liner in still. And we have, I suppose, more premium harnesses. We don't just put webbing harnesses on our helmets. They can be leather coated. They can be plastic coated. Whereas I think cycling is just purely, it is just uncovered webbing. Um, I suppose there's a, there's a different trend in the cycling world. We don't need covered webbing um, to hold our helmets on, really. Um, yeah, I think it's just a different mindset for cycling. We don't need all the fancy bits that are in equestrian. What about safety standards? Are they different between the two lines of helmets? 
Yes, they're very different. Um, so they have different tests and different test line coverage. So I've already sent you a JPEG previous to this call, yeah, um, yeah. just showing you the, the test line differences. So the, what I mean by the test line is um, when you send a helmet to get certified at SEI, ASTM, or in the UK, uh, at BSI, um, they draw a line on the helmet and they will test the helmet anywhere above this line. So they will put it in the helmet test rig and drop it on a, a flat anvil or a hemi anvil or a curb anvil or a hazard anvil. And they're allowed to impact the helmet anywhere above the test line. Um, with cycling, the test line is much higher on the head, meaning you've got less coverage compared to equestrian. So equestrian has got so much more safety coverage than cycling. Um, and, and there are different um, anvils that the helmets are dropped onto. And if we're comparing to British standards, um, there's no spike testing where a spike is dropped onto the helmet. So if you were to drop a spike onto a cycling helmet, the spike is going to go through those massive ventilation holes. Um, the equestrian helmets have much smaller ventilation holes purely because we are trying to avoid the penetration by spike or by branches or sharp rocks. Um, the studs on a helm on a horse's hoof, for example, as well. And um, yeah, you don't have so much of that in um, on a cycling helmet because their their ventilation is so massive. Um, I didn't think yeah. about that, but that is a, like a real danger, you know, because if you fall off your bike. You fall off your bike, but if you fall off your horse, you can be dragged. They can step on you. You can get yes. launched into something. Yeah, we we see a lot of people getting trodden on or rolled on by their horse. Um, we had one of our sponsored riders, Laura Kraut, was trodden on twice by her horse, mm -hmm. and the horse was wearing studs. And luckily, the helmet was able to protect her against those helmets or those um, hoof studs. But if she was wearing a cyclical helmet, those hoof studs would have gone straight through those big gaping holes. Right. And the other so, thing, too, is, you know, I ride bike and I wear helmets for when I drive carriage. And yeah. the bike helmet is so much lighter. I mean, you would you can tell just by picking them up that, that they're not going to be as strong because it's just I mean, it's it's a quarter as heavy. Well, it's so much lighter because you've got much more ventilation. So there's less polystyrene material mm -hmm. there. And, and it doesn't come down thin, in the back like the riding helmet does either. No, it does not come down. So you've got less material due to the lower coverage, less material due to the big ventilation holes, and um, also the helmet shell um, on a cycling is probably less than 0.5 millimeters thick, sometimes 0.3 or 0.2, and they are just back-molded straight onto the liner or in-molded in the poly machine. Um so that's what makes them very light compared to an equestrian helmet where we make the shell separate to the, the liner and the shell can be one and a half to two mil thick. It could be made of carbon and Kevlar or dial-in or fiberglass and it's made of those purely to help against the spike test or the, the hazard anvil test or lateral crush testing. So we need to be stiff I have a stiff helmet to pass the lateral crush it needs to be stiff to protect against the spike and the hazard 
And yeah, a horse could roll on you. So yes, you want a nice stiff helmet with lots of coverage when a horse can potentially roll on you or kick on you. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I think about that though when I ride my bike and I'm going 25 miles an hour down a hill on a road. You know, yeah. if, if you know, I think about my bike helmet going, is this really going to protect me if I come off right now and <laughs> hit the side of a, you know, telephone pole? Um, and then the other thing, I, I guess, is if you get hit by a car, probably the least of your worries is your helmet by that point. I don't know. <laughs> or it doesn't matter. It, it is the least of your worries, yeah. but it, it, um, I'd, pref- I'd prefer to have a helmet on in any situation. I'd, right. I'd rather have a broken helmet and broken arms than a broken head. Yeah, me too, and that's why I wear them. But, you know, you do, I do think about the difference between the two, and I'm thinking, should I be riding with my uh, with my horse helmet at this point if I'm going this fast in traffic, <laughs> you know? Um, I don't know how to answer that one, really. Um, so, <laughs> yes, I, I do believe equestrian helmets are safer, but they're made for different instances, different situations, Um and they they have different tests because of the different accident scenarios you can have. Mm-hmm. So the equestrian helmets are made for possible equestrian scenarios, whereas the cycling ones are yeah made for cycling scenarios. Um, so I, I can't really comment on the crossover. Yeah, but well, I okay. would say you shouldn't put a cycling helmet on if you're riding your horse. Yeah, which is what a lot of people are saying, you know, we're asking about because of the price difference, which gets us to that. Why is there so much of a price difference between the two? Um, it's purely because they're, I think cycling helmets are easier to make. Um, I mean, it's down to that. And because of the more extreme helmet tests we have in equestrian, we have to make the helmet to be more substantial and sturdier. Um, and that raises the price. And probably, you know, just cost of production, you're, they're producing a, a 10 times more bike helmets than are produced equestrian helmets in the world. If, if that might even be minimum. <laughs> yes, I know, I know the, uh, the cycle helmet world is a lot larger than equestrian, but I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I, I ride a bike, my daughter rides a bike, my wife rides a bike, none of us rides a horse. Um, I, I, I design and engineer the helmets, but I don't ride horses myself, but, um, yeah, that, that, that can account for the the much higher market in the cycling. Yeah. Well, this is interesting. Thank you for giving us an explanation about the, the differences there. Do you think, is there more innovation coming that you can actually talk about? If you can't talk about that's okay. Obviously oh, I, I can't talk about all, all our secrets, <laughs> but we, we are always working on improving our helmets constantly, trying out new materials. Um, and I, I sit on the, the, the headgear board at ASTM. So um, I talk to the cycling guys. I talk to the equestrian guys, the football guys, and we all, trying to improve the safety standards and then improve helmets altogether so that that works for both cycling and equestrian because it uses similar equipment um we're all dealing with concussion so all we're trying to do is improve helmet safety standards very good and then in turn better helmets I know the MIPS technology when it came out was a big thing and uh you know and and there's going to be more of those kind of things coming down the pike I think pretty soon yes. we're going to see more of different kinds of things yes. like that. And there are MIPS alternatives as well um, coming. Um, there's already one or two different versions in the market that are MIPS competitors. Right. WaveCell being one of them. What is it? WaveCell. Wave um, 
wave cell if you look at the virginia tech ratings you will you should see some wave cell helmets in there they'll be they'll be the highest scoring ones as well as mips very good well thank you matt we appreciate you stopping by of course charles own everybody knows where to find it you can go to i think it's charlesowen.com or any store right. in america you'll find it there so appreciate it take care well there you go don't wear your bike helmet when you're riding your horse that's the bottom line Horse helmets are. You know made. what I was thinking. Yeah. You know what I was thinking when you were talking about that, uh, going twenty five miles an hour with your bike helmet. Like your bike isn't going to take off at a full gallop and like throw you into something. I think you could never go as fast on your bike as you can on your horse. I'm not sure about that, and uh, I have had things jump out in my uh, in my way in the bike. <laughs> Yeah, but you can stop your bike. Your bike yeah, wouldn't yeah. just run off that's and true. drag you places. It, it usually does not have a mind of its own. No, uh, that is correct. <laughs> <laughs> it usually does what I tell it to do. Usually. <laughs> if you right. tell your bike to stop, it stops. It doesn't say, no, I'm terrified. You're right, exactly. I'm going to keep running. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't vote like Scooter does. No, it <laughs> doesn't do that. But so you're right about that. And, you know, well, there, I hope we answered some. I know that uh, there were a lot of comments there in the auditor room, and I hope we answered that. And most of the people were saying, I would never wear my bike helmet to ride my horse. And that is the correct answer. Mm -hmm. uh, I know there's a price difference, but you're paying, you're paying for protection in that case. All right, let's do some question first world problems. It's time for the weekly look at your equestrian first world problems. This ought to be good. So what do we have, Wendy? Does anybody oh have any God, problems? Oh, my God. The first one. Yes, the first one I really like. It's from Jessica Troop. And she's horse shopping, but instead, all she's finding are really bad ads to send to Jennifer or horses that are a kajillion dollars. <laughs> Crappy horses or kajillion Poor dollar girl. horses. <laughs> Poor girl. Okay, Tammy Griffith says, her white truck and trailers are yellow because of all the tree pollen. Mine too. Uh, <laughs> in Florida, it is awful. We're I I am basically hosing off the cars every other day. They're just covered in yellow. And we had that last month. I like couldn't breathe for like all of last month. Oh, it's awful and thick. Oh, it's awful. Yeah, you have a pretty bad. Well, just wait till April in North Carolina. You want to see some pollen? <laughs> Good luck uh, there, allergy hey. people. <laughs> <laughs> okay, from Margaret Dwyer. My friend gave me two new blankets for Jacques, but he is shedding so badly. I don't want to try them on and get them covered in chestnut hair in case they don't fit and we have to return them. It is a problem. <laughs> and when we had the store, we used to get people returning very dirty blankets. It's like, you used this blanket for a month and now you're returning it? <laughs> yeah, but if they're really shedding, you could put it on for like one second and you'll never get all the hair off. Yeah, shedding and covered in mud is two different things. Oh, you mean people would actually use them and yes, then try to send them and back? and then bring them back. Yep. No way. Yep, that is correct. <laughs> well, you should just say no. Okay, I have a first world problem for my horse. Okay. Because my farrier was here this morning, and he had to stay tied while the other ones get their feet done. Mm -hmm. And Abby hates those small hole hay nets. <laughs> he was standing there like sad, and he was like making this sad face, and he was just picking out whenever when I would come over to look at him, he would just pick out one strand of hay at a time and like savor it and then look at me like, oh my God, I can't believe you're forcing me to eat out of this stupid hay Welcome net. Welcome to Scooter's world every day. 
And he gets <laughs> so mad, he rips it out of there, and then he shakes his head, and then he rips out the next piece and shakes his head. And he'll do that for two hours. <laughs> no, I know. Usually that's what mine do. But Abby was just like totally pouting, just picking out one <laughs> strand of hay at a time. It was so funny. So she feeds him in the in the hay net, and then I come along when I feed and throw it on the ground. So... <laughs> you take it out for him? I don't put it in the net. I just throw it on the ground. Or sometimes if he's getting really frustrated and he's spent, you know, three hours eating out of the hay net and he gives up and he just walks away, I'll take it out of the because <laughs> he's got me wrapped. <laughs> don't tell okay, this, this is from Elizabeth Rose. This is my kind of first world problem. My horse husband wants to learn to ride, except we own a four-year-old OTTB, so we have to buy another horse. <laughs> There you go. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. Let's not get him off the track thoroughbred, though, okay? <laughs> no, yeah. she needs a cute draft horse. Yeah. Okay, this is a good one. Um, from, Carrie, from Carrie Garvey. My horse is fit and mostly clipped, but my friend's horses got pretty sweaty on our five-mile ride on Saturday. So I had to wait for them to groom their horses before we could have cupcakes and champagne to celebrate one of their birthdays. And it took forever. <laughs> you have nice trail rides. I want to go on trail ride with her. Cupcakes and know, champagne. Cupcakes. Yeah. <laughs> but she had to wait for those sweaty horses. Do th- don't these people know how to clip? <sighs> <sighs> okay. Chelsea Tipton says, She's so high from the horse show this weekend. She doesn't have any first world equestrian programs, although she did get a little sunburned yesterday. <laughs> she must be a Florida girl. Must be. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. From Stephanie Eileen. We just moved to the most amazing barn with a giant indoor, three outdoors, a trail loop on the property, but the dang snow and ice is Still keeping us from doing anything outside. Enough already. <laughs> I imagine that the people that are getting this storm, I, I remember living up there in March and you get the, you always get the big blizzard in March. And it's just like, you're so over it. And then you have two feet of snow. I know. It's awful. No. I was just telling somebody that my farrier is thinking about like maybe moving to like New England. And I said, don't do it. You'll miss Florida weather. I I don't I don't get how people can move south to north. Uh, that would be Maybe. too hard. <laughs> that would be too hard. Okay, this is from Julian Brewer, uh, and she's saying, "My husband used to be the cook, but now he rides with us. He wanted to spend more time with me. The nerve! <laughs> <laughs> I hope Kyle doesn't do that." <laughs> Yeah, Kyle's a good cook. You're spoiled rotten. <laughs> he doesn't just cook on the weekends good either. He's always posting pictures. It's the middle of the week, and he's making like 24-hour roasted meats and you know, I know. stuff. You got lucky there, girl. I know, I know. Okay, and this is our last one. From Samantha Reeves. I have three horses that are perfect for Land Rover, and I can't pick just one. <laughs> She's an outrider there. And I asked her, I said, do you, are there going to be outriders? Because there's no crowd. There's no audience at, at uh, Land Rover this year. And uh, I didn't know if they'd still have the outriders. And the outriders, you always see them on cross country, and they're stationed around yeah. to make sure the crowd doesn't get out of the way, you know, in the way and all that. And to close the crossings. And I guess for loose horses, too, you know, if a horse gets yeah. loose. Uh, 
but she said they're going to be less of them, about half the number. But that is one of the other reasons they're out there. Uh, and they're also out there, so you got 50,000 people that actually see horses up close. Um, You'd have to ride pretty fast to catch an event horse running away. Yeah, huh? I don't know that you're going to do that. She rides side saddle, too, so I'm not sure. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I'm not sure she's doing that side saddle. She's always a big hit, though, at Rolex or at Land Rover every year because she is side saddle. So yeah, it's, it's always a big hit, and you know she the, outrides side saddle. Yep, yep, all day. <laughs> oh, that's awesome! All day. I gotta imagine you're sore the next day after sitting there for eight hours in I a side so. saddle. They say it's more comfortable. Have you ever done it? I've done it. Yeah, Mickey Bowen let me. Uh, she gave me some side saddle lessons. It was really fun. I really want to do it again, but what? I just I can't find a side saddle. Was it it's so hard. Um. Do you think that people? Now, I'm not saying this to pick on you. I'm not saying I don't think it was too comfortable. Uh, My back was hurting because you have to twist. Yeah, I imagine you know, like, that would be the I case. I don't think you could sit all day like that. But it was fun. I really liked it. And you are really like on there. You're stuck on there. So the question is, and I, I'm being serious about this. I'm not picking on you. Wendy's somewhat on the shorter side. Is it? Would it be easier to ride side saddle if you're shorter or taller with longer legs? Probably taller, I would think. That's what I was thinking. But, you know, too, like I was riding in Mickey Bowen's size saddle, and Mickey's like four eleven. So for, wow. I'm tall compared to her. Yeah. And that's why I think I'm having trouble finding a size saddle because you have to make sure it fits your horse, and then also fits you. And I'm, you know, five two. So it's hard. No wonder but you maybe were those... friends with Mickey. She was the only one shorter than you. She was. Like, I know. <laughs> I, know. I felt like a giant. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Mickey. <laughs> she hey. loves being short. She's adorable. Adorable she short. She is cute as a button. All right, before yeah. we get to our next guest, we're going to head now to Jumper World, uh, actually Jumper Nation, and we're going to talk to Emma. She's going to give us an update on what's happening in the Jumper World. The winter series are coming to an end here in Florida. But before we get to that, while you were on today, I thought I'd bring this up. Do you know where Midway Atoll is? It's a tiny uh, island in the South Pacific. The only reason you might have heard of it is during World War II, it was one of the islands that, you know. Yeah, I mean, I've heard about Midway, but I don't know where it is. It, it, it's about 1,300 miles from Hawaii. And mm -hmm. something happened there in the last couple of weeks that's made the news. And that is that the world's oldest known wild bird laid an egg, has had uh, hatched another chick. Oh, really? uh, so she's 70 years old. It's a Laysan albatross. Uh, wow. Her, her name is Wisdom, and she hatched another chick at 70 years old, making it at least that they know about the 40th youngster she has reared. Oh, my God. Apparently, and she must have had more babies when she was younger. Like, they must... Well, they started tracking her, actually, in 1956 is when they first put an identification wow. band back on her. And uh, she was estimated to be around five at that age. And that's when they usually mature and can start having, oh, oh, having oh. babies. Um, and she, they keep the same mate, too. Uh, so Aww. now she's been apparently been through a couple. <laughs> she's lived so long. She, uh, she outlived them. Yeah. <laughs> um, so they spend nine tenths of their life at sea, out to sea, actually out to sea. Yeah. Um, so they can really only study them when they return to the breeding grounds and, and, and uh, you know, all those islands around there, but they have studied yeah. this one in particular. So that's how they know so much about it. There's uh, apparently around an estimated two and a half million of these left in the world. Uh, it's yeah. the second most common seabird in the Hawaiian islands. 
Um, they only hatch one egg a year. So if you were counting on them, really, food, only yeah, one a year. Yeah, I know your chickens do like one a day. Uh, yeah, but these only one egg a year. So if you're counting on them for your eggs, uh, you you would starve. Uh, <laughs> so, but that's why it's so important that when they have one egg a year, you know they really want that baby to make it. Right? They, that chick has to yeah. make it because you know that's their only chance till next year. Uh, and they said that's probably why they haven't overpopulated is because. One egg a year. <laughs> so it's yeah. not like chickens. How many chickens do you have what? now? Oh, well, I only have five hens. I'm having a bobcat problem Uh-oh. right now. Yeah, they're um, around. But um, I have my incubators going. I have tons of eggs in the incubator. I hatched out two little babies, and then I made the unfortunate mistake of going to tractor supply on chick day. <laughs> and then I came home with six more chicks. Like I don't even need to buy more chicks, but I really, I love these. <laughs> I love this breed. I got these, um, I got these little, they look like little chipmunks. They're, um, why am I going blank on the name? They're the cornflakes. Cornflakes. They're the cornflakes breed. <laughs> um, but they're super adorable. And I like, I need more chickens. I couldn't believe it. And I had the Jack Russell in the car. When, and I had to oh, bring no. Jack Russell and six baby chicks in this little tiny <laughs> flimsy cardboard box. And I was like, oh, my God, if if the any chicks get out or if the Jack Russell breaks loose of her leash. You're in trouble. Gonna be, <laughs> yeah, it's going to be like a bloodbath in here. <laughs> but we made it. We, made it. <laughs> we have a coyote issue right now. Jennifer took uh, the uh, took the dog out, took the greyhound out before light one morning into the driveway and came upon the coyote right there in the driveway. Oh, my God. Uh, Stumbled on the coyote, which was a very large dog size. And uh, Wayne has seen, on the other side of our neighborhood, has seen the coyotes, too. So, yeah, I imagine chickens aren't... You're going to have to keep an eye on your chickens Uh, right now. But it's common for coyotes to live in in neighborhoods because it's so much easier for them to eat, like, like neighborhood cats and little little dogs. Yeah, lunch is right there, cat. provided for you. <laughs> I was screaming at this bobcat. I'm like, go eat bunnies. Stop <laughs> eating my poor ducks. Well, we don't have any bunnies in our neighborhood. We have squirrels because apparently nothing likes squirrels because they're just everywhere. But we have no bunnies. And they, it's hawks. We have hawks that live here. We have a couple of hawks that live on the farm. We have owls, a couple of big owls. And we have oh, these yeah. predators yeah. that live here too. So bunnies don't stand a chance. There's just none around. Uh, you, that's what you should do. You should introduce some bunnies to your neighborhood, and then it might save you from the coyotes coming over to your house. I wanted to tell you, you've saved squirrels in the past. Jennifer witnessed, yeah. again, walking the dog in our on our farm. We have a couple of hawks that live right in the farm. And we also have a couple of uh, woody woodpeckers, by the way, that live here, too. Um, oh, cute. Yeah, they're, 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 they're always in pairs. They mate for life, apparently, too. So we see them together all the time. Oh. Uh, but so... Uh, she was walking the dog one day, bright daylight, and the hawk comes down, picks up a squirrel, and apparently she said it was a bloody battle. Squirrels don't like to be picked up. <laughs> um, no. And we talked to a falconer one time who said the reason they don't eat squirrels is because squirrels fight back. You know, bunnies, yeah. they can pretty much, you know, just hold on to it. But squirrels will oh, fight back yeah. and claw them and, you know, do everything else. And it, she said oh, they good, got baby a, squirrel. Yeah, they said they got about 10, 15 feet in the air and dropped the squirrel. So, and the squirrel went running off. So that's the reason they don't eat wow. squirrels is is because squirrels will fight back. They're apparently pretty squirrely. 
I tell you something. Can I, can I tell you something? Okay, my acknowledge my did. bad pun there. Acknowledge that. That was a good, that was a good pun. <laughs> I'm going to tell you my gardening story about okay. squirrels. Okay. I have all these baby squirrels that I rescue and then I release them. But they like come hang out with me when I'm in the yard. And so now I finally have my vegetable garden rocking. Okay. And this has taken like four times. Because first the chickens got in there, then the deer got in there, then whatnot, whatnot, whatnot. So now I'm like, finally, I've got it going. So I'm like, I want to plant some corn. So I plant these little corn corn seeds in, in little rows, right? And the squirrels are out there hanging out with me watching. And the next morning, I come out to the garden to water all my little seeds. And these squirrels dug up every single corn, every single little corn piece and ate them. Yep, that's what they do. Every single one. And it wasn't even like they didn't like just move all the ground. They just like went and dug these little holes. There were these little holes like exactly how I planted them. And you... I was like, screw you, squirrels. What are you doing? <laughs> sudden, not in love with the squirrels anymore, are you? <laughs> but I feed them. They give peanuts every single day. Peanuts and sunflower seeds. And, and corn. Why do you want to dry, dry up corn seeds? And corn, apparently. There you go. But they get fresh corn on the cob that I buy at the grocery store for them. Children, this is why you can't have nice stuff. Right <laughs> <laughs> you know, I hate the squirrels because it cost us big bucks here. They went up, I know, they I ate know. the seal out of our gas tank of our truck. Cost eighteen hundred dollars to get it fixed. And, if, and the guy at the, at the repair shop said, "Oh, we see this all the time." <laughs> it's like, what? I know. That's how I get a lot of squirrels. People find their nests in the in their car. <laughs> All right, let's go to our next guest. Let's head over to Jumper Nation. Hi, Emma. Welcome back to the show. Hey, Glenn. How are you? Thanks for having me. Good. Now, Emma is the editor over at Jumper Nation, and she comes on here occasionally to give us a jumping report. We give Deanna a week off every once in a while. Uh, and uh, <laughs> things nothing's been happening in the jumper world. You're bored, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Well, certainly in the United States, the uh, season is in full swing. Is it almost over now, the winter season up here in Ocala and then down in Wellington? Are we, are we heading the end of the winter season? We are. We are in the home stretch. Yeah, I think we're in, what is it, would be week 10 now of, of WES and, and WEC as well. So um, it's it's a 12-week sort of deal. So it's uh, it, we're getting to the end of it. Um and yeah, people will start sort of migrating north following the weather. <laughs> so, so I have a question for you. There was all the battle between the World Equestrian Center and HITS over here in Ocala. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. everybody was too close to each other. We can't do jumper shows and blah, 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 blah. Okay. Uh, there was all that battle. How have things turned out? Is everybody happily showing? I think everybody is happily showing. Yeah. I mean, it seems to me that they've sorted out the um, kind of feud that was going on. And there are people showing at WEC. There are people showing at HITS. Some of those are the same people, right? right. <laughs> showing at both places. Um, obviously, the, money, the venues right? are a bit different. <laughs> but but they, you know, they're both, they're, they're horse shows in both places. And there's prize money in both places. So I think, you know... I think it's generally been a good thing. I know a lot of people have been impressed with WEC um, and the the impressive facilities there and what they've done. So, you know, I think there was there's probably a few things still to be ironed out, and we'll see how it kind of 
progresses um, over the years here, but I don't think WEC is going away anytime soon. So I was going to um, ask you what you were hearing. <laughs> I know we, we've been over a few times to watch things that are going, I know, uh, yeah, I know, no spectators allowed, but I'm press. Um, so <laughs> we've been over a few times yeah. to watch things going on, and uh, it all seems to be running fairly smooth for considering it's their first year there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think I think they do a good job. Um, I know, obviously, there was the scare with uh, EHV, um, which seems to be kind of under control, at least in Florida now. Um, you know, they were putting in place biosecurity measures, and I think for a few days, they were even limiting horses coming into the facility and things like that. So, it seems that now there have been a couple of negative cases in Wellington that they thought had been positive before. So anyway, I think it, it's pretty clear in Florida it's under control. In other places, obviously, it's uh, it's not. Like across Europe and in Canada and even where I'm from in Maryland, there were a few cases. So it's uh, it's a bit scary, honestly, to be living in a human pandemic and then also on top of that, a um, a horse one. <laughs> so what about your? Uh, we covered Europe earlier in the show. We were talking about how the the fact that they've gone another couple of weeks into the middle of April with their postponements of shows in ten different countries. What's that mean for the Olympics? Are we going to see the Olympics this year? What are you hearing? Oh, um, I don't have any inside information on that. Um, as far as I know, it's going ahead, um, and I think. I was actually just talking to uh, the team at, at Eventing Nation and Jumper Nation earlier, and we were reflecting on how it was about this time last year that the Olympics were, were postponed. So we were saying, well, if they haven't postponed it by now, you know, it's probably, or canceled it this time, it's probably going ahead. Um, whether EHV will impact the Olympics is obviously up in the air. I think I would hope by that time it's all kind of under control, but you have to remember that these people are athletes and obviously their horses are athletes. So they have to be able to prepare for the games. And if, you know, the FEI suspends competition further through April or May or whatever it may be, then you're talking only a couple of months before the Olympic games, which is like the biggest test of horse and rider that they have. So particularly in the show jumping. Um, So, yeah, it, it, it's a bit scary, but my view is that the Olympics will happen because I think, you know, they, they would have had to notify athletes sooner and they're going to have a, find a way to do it. But the EHV thing is kind of throwing a wrench in things a little bit. Um, I think time will tell. Well, and let's, let's face it, the Olympics would be what, you know, they could go on without the horse events, right? <laughs> they could just say exactly. no horses, yeah. we're still going to do everything else. And nobody's going to care a lot in Japan that that's, you know, that they're going to do, do mean? it. I would care. I, we would Me all too. care. We would all care, but let's face it in the real world. Yeah. The broader public. <laughs> You're right. That's exactly. True. Yeah. But it would be a real shame. I mean, there are, there are horses and riders who have been preparing this for this, you for know, for decades. <laughs> there are horses. Yeah. And you know, there are horses that won't have another shot at doing it. So, um, we're we're really hoping that it can happen. I think there, you know, I I think it will. I I think it will. I'm going to go with that. I think it will. I think it's going to happen. I think yeah. you're right. I think it's not the human pandemic at this point. It's the HB1 thing, and I think that'll be under control here in another month. Yeah, 
Yeah. So uh, what about Brexit? Now, we've, t- we've touched on this before, and we're not going to explain what Brexit is because that would take us the entire day. Um, <laughs> but basically, Brexit, the, the UK, you know, England has succeeded from the rest of the Union like we did from them, you know, 250 to 200, 300 <laughs> years ago. So now mm-hmm. what? Uh, there are, is travel impeded? How's that all working? Yeah, so my understanding, and and this is um, actually informed mostly by a a piece that we recently republished um, by a a professional in England who detailed the increasing costs and logistical headaches associated with Brexit and, and moving horses in between the EU and England now. So obviously before when the European Union included England, it was quite easy to cross borders and that sort of thing. Like, you know, you you may have heard of um, teenagers going across on the Eurail Pass and things like that. You can take trains all around Europe, including into England. Now those borders are effectively much more strict. And so that has impacted um, horse movements, whether it's, selling horses or just competing them. And I think the problem is that England has relied on the fact that it's easy for competitors to go to Spain or other parts of Europe to compete, Germany, Belgium, whatever. And so they don't actually have, they have shows in England, but they don't have the caliber of shows that some the rest of Europe have, at least in jumping shows. Eventing is a little different, but in jumping shows, you know, you don't have two and three and four star events every weekend in England, but you would have them in the rest of Europe. And so for those riders to compete, they go to Europe all the time normally, but now it's like an extra, at least I think like 24 hours added to the journey with all these extra customs. There's a lot of extra expense associated with it. And basically people are saying, you know, this is a bit ridiculous and it's pretty bad for the horse welfare for them to have this added time to their travel, um, particularly if they're going and, you know, jumping in three days after that. So it's, um, it seems to be a heated, a heated topic. And, and also it seems to be something that people are writing to legislators and, and policymakers about. So hopefully they'll kind of get the memo that, you know, we don't want our horses to suffer from this, um, kind of political um, situation that, that happened and it'll be better for everyone if, you know, if people can travel more easily um, across the border. Well, I noticed that, uh, you know, an article a couple of weeks ago about the channel and how backed up it was coming from France into England. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it just was backed up for, as you said, for half a day uh, and you just sitting there. And part of that was COVID and, you know, in addition to customs, part of it's also COVID um, because mm-hmm. they're double checking that and all the uh, things that go along with that. So it's been a kind of a real nightmare at the beginning here. <laughs> yeah. And on top of that with EHV people trying to get horses home or, or just, I think there's a general sense of panic. So um glad, glad not to be there now. I have to say. Yeah. Yeah. We can be here with, we have no problems in the United States, so it's all good. <laughs> <laughs> now, I called, when we talked to you, I just have to bring this up. When I called you earlier today, 
a woman answered with a very thick accent. And I'm going, this is not Emma. Who was that? <laughs> that was my mom, um, who has an Australian accent. Um, she sure does. And she picked up the phone because I was on another work call. I was like, um, and I said, what is it? Who is this answering? Right <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it was my mom, um, born and raised in Sydney. And um, I actually had an Australian accent when I was a, a little kid, but lost it pretty I was going to ask you, was... you lost it to the sexy accent. Mm-hmm. It's gone. Mm-hmm. I know. <laughs> but um, I still do ride for Australia and um, uh, intend to intend to represent Australia. So um, I have that, but I, I was on a green card uh, for the United States until uh, about six months ago now and then I, I got my citizenship finally after living here for 20 years so congratulations um, exciting yeah i could vote for the first time and um feel like a, a legit part of this country so that was cool i retained my australian citizenship too I was just looking for the national anthem quickly to play, but I don't have it ready. Sorry. <laughs> I am not a good singer, so <laughs> Well, congratulations. That's terrific. And now you can you could technically ride for either country, right? Or do you have to declare? Um, you have to declare, but I think I mean if I wanted to I could switch. Um, but it's it's my intention to ride for Australia. Cool. Well, then you have to start talking with the accent again. It's just required. <laughs> exactly. Right. Yeah. Emma, thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate it. Jumpernation.com is where you can find all the information you'll ever want about what's happening in show jumping around the world. Take care, Emma. Thanks, Glenn and Wendy. Have right. a good one. Bye. Bye. Right, back to work now. Well, there you go. She's delightful, and we appreciate her coming on with us. Dr. Wendy, where can people find you? At drwendying.com. Well, and uh, you can find all of her products there. She has a whole bunch of different uh, Chinese medicine products that we talk about here once a month on the show. You can find them all at drwendying.com. I know you, you've been shipping out orders. so Yep, we have lots of herbal therapies for dogs and cats. Uh, Horses and cats, if you can get the cats to take them, but they can be very helpful for kitties. Very good. And I have a uh, blog and uh, with all kinds of info about uh, holistic veterinary medicine. And, of course, we do an episode once a month. It's the first Thursday of every month is a driving episode. You can find it right here on Horses in the Morning. Go to the HorsesInTheMorning.com page. Scroll down to the middle. You'll see a little driving banner. Click on that. It brings you all the past episodes. We've actually been doing the driving show now for eight, nine years. Long time. Uh, <clears throat> I think. No, it's, it's not eight or nine years. It's a, like 11. Is it really? Because we, we started in Kentucky. You remember? Oh, I guess it is. We started when we both lived in Kentucky, and that was when? 2010. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Well, uh, thank you for joining us, everybody, today. We really appreciate it. Tomorrow is the Certified Horsemanship Association with Christy, who got a blizzard over the weekend, so I hope she still has power. And then fox hunting later in the week. And uh, on Wednesday, I have a a special guest host. Helena is joining me, of course, the first, my first co-host here on Horse Radio Network. So she'll be here filling in for Jamie. And then on Friday, Lisa Wysocki is going to be filling in. So uh, you can look forward to a full week of shows. Just because Jamie's on vacation doesn't mean we are. 
Thank you, Dr. All Wendy. Glenn's girls are going to be on this That's week. That's right. I have the whole harem on here this week. <laughs> Hang on, auditors. We have a post show a little bit for you.